weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Now, thanks to the two Johnnies. Neil Tracy is in Portugal with the Ireland squad. He'll join us with a Johnny Sexton interview. We'll reflect on all the deadline day transfers with Keith Tracy. Nadine Doherty is on with the latest football news plus Warren Dutrim on Cricket Ireland's new stadium. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Now we're going to be talking to Neil Tracy very, very shortly. But first of all, he was in Portugal and he spoke to Johnny Sexton. Yeah, all good. Got through a couple of tough sessions over the last few days, so all good. Yeah, all good. Got through a couple of tough sessions over the last few days, so all good. It's been good to have time together. You know, we've, I suppose, a few years ago we came here before we played England at home and we had a bit of PTSD a few times we came back, but we managed to get some better results times after that. So we enjoy coming here. We, we get to spend time together. Obviously, on your day off, you spend time together. You you, you sit down and watch. There's no option to go home, so you, you go sit down and watch video together in the evening time. So it's been good for us in the first, whatever, 10, 11 days it's been to, to be properly together. And then we'll get a bit of time off after Wales game, get to go home for a day. So uh, it's been the right mix, I think. We're going to watch a, a stadium where you have one of Six Nations game for good ball about the Paris 2013. How tough a place has it been for you over the last 10 years or so? You're, you're right. Like it's, uh, you know, there was close calls in 15, 17, 19. They were going for the Grand Slam. We were going for the championship. We got, couldn't remember that day, terrible day weather-wise. They got an early score and we were, had to chase the game in the wet. It was a horrible day. One of the worst days we've had in green, a lot of us. And then obviously the last time we were there with, with Pete, you know, getting the red card made things very difficult. But we, we could have even got snuck away with a, with a win. But... Uh, it's amazing how you can look back at all these games and you remember them so so vividly because they're all so special. It's a tough place to go. Ask any any nation, ask England, Scotland. No one has that good a record there, but even when we won there in 13, we went on to, I think, finish last in the tournament. So uh, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee anything if you get the win. It's a, it's a short campaign. It's also eight weeks, a couple of months long. You know, It's a big chunk of the season, so it depends on the way you look at it. But look, we're, we're not worried about worrying about next week or what happens if we win or what happens if we lose we're fully focused on performance and and trying to get that first up is is always a challenge there's no shine away from that but we've done some great work to to this point to, to make that a possibility it's important to spend that time together we're just to get on the on the same page isn't it you know when you're at home you do spend you know if we were in camp in ireland we would spend a lot of time together anyway but we have that option to go home on our day off and you're out of camp for 36 hours or you know, 48 hours. So it's just having that extra time together is good at this time when you're trying to get on the same page, get, get the calls back in your head, get, you know, get used to playing with different guys again that you, you don't normally play with. So for those reasons, it's just been good. And you know, get the atmosphere back. You know, it's, it's a special environment to be part of. We have obviously our Netflix friends in there and they get to experience a bit of it, but it's a good place to be. Uh, you're not getting involved in Netflix of course I am. You are. I'm here now, am I? Your old pal, Mr. Gatland, um, he was in apologetic mood yesterday. I don't recall him. It says the press conference. He said, yeah, it's probably wrong not to pick Johnny for the Lions. Is that make it all okay in your mind, or is he trying to mess with your head? I'd say he hasn't gone into two, like, you'd have to ask him, but that's gone now, isn't it? It's something that you never get back, which is why it hurt so bad at the time, but you make people make their decisions, 
at the time they probably make them for what they think is the right reason so you can't you can't hold I met him at the the launch like you know what I mean there was no animosity or anything it was shook hands said hello you know I got on very well with him on the two previous tours which is probably why, why it hurt so much uh, but look it is what it is it's over now it's a long time ago but in classic Gavin style he's described as a free hit for Wales and he's picking up the fact that Ireland are favourites and trying to manage that psychological element before the game how important is, is it that you handle that favourites status in the right way well, maybe that's what he's saying, but he, ha- he certainly hasn't picked a team that would suggest that it's a free hit because he's picked such an experienced team. You know, he's brought back some some older guys that would suggest he's, he's targeting this game. You know, if he, if he was looking at a free hit, he'd pick all the young lads and give it a lash so you can, they can get through to the World Cup. So we're definitely not preparing like that. We're preparing for a full-on test match in the Principality Stadium, which, like we said previously, is an incredibly tough place to go, a tough place to win. And that's all we've been t- talking about and preparing for. John, can I just ask how Jamie Osborne has been doing? Obviously, at the Lancer Sunday, but new environment for me. Yeah, he's been training very well. Obviously, you saw today he got nominated for uh, European Player of the Year. At that age is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. You know, only a couple, couple of appearances, and he, he made such an impression. So that's the the caliber of player that he is, and he's been he's been in here training really well. You know, opposite Gary, and then mixing in at twelve as well. So he's been he's been impressive in training as well. So he'd be uh, he'd be ready if he's called upon, and that step up to international rugby it is a step up. But I think he's ready for it. How have you been with him? What he's done so far, as you mentioned, getting for now. But you've seen it up close and I've seen it uh, two years ago. I said it to, to Faz. I said this guy's the real. I've never seen a young player with the feel for the game that he had. Obviously, at that stage, he was a little bit smaller than he is now. Uh, he's filled out a bit, but. He had that physique that he could grow into, and I knew that. I said to, to the Leinster coaches, this is the best guy we've had since Gary. So Gary's an all right player, isn't he? So he's in good company. So the two of them, look, they'll be you know, the, the cornerstone of that Leinster backline for the next, whatever, five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, that was Johnny Sexton speaking to the media a little bit earlier on, and our Neil Tracy of RTE Sport was there as well. Neil, he sounds like he's in good form. He certainly does, Marie. How are you doing? Um, yeah, he was in he was in very good form actually. I think he's actually just delighted to be fit and ready to go because he's he has mentioned a couple of times. He mentioned it at the launch last week as well how when he picked up that facial injury against Connacht on New Year's Day, how you know we all saw how how bad the injury looks. That kind of bump just above his above his cheekbone around his around his left temple and. He said there were a couple of nervous days while he was waiting to, to get the full extent of it to, to see was he going to be fit and ready to go. Now, as it goes, the procedure ended up being quite minor and he's been back training for the last couple of weeks and today he was able to train for the first time without a protective mask on. So he's going to be all clear for the weekend, it seems, and we'd fully expect him to be in the team for the weekend. So I do think there probably is a, a bit of relief in his head that he's going to be fit and available after a bit of a nervous wait. and. He was also speaking as well about the the fact that this is this this is fourteenth Six Nations campaign, and I was looking back at it a little earlier on. There's only seven players who played more times in the championship. A few of them Irish players as well, and a few of his old teammates. But it's it's quite a long haul that he's had in this tournament, and he still seems to have the the drive and the passion and the the energy to go for a fourteenth one this season. So what are we going to do with him throughout the championship? Is he going to play every single game? I'd imagine he's not going to play every minute of every game, but how much do you think we're going to see of him? 
I'd say we're going to see plenty of him if he's fit. Um, and I think they're they're more than happy to do so. Um, I would say probably with the way the tournament is is laid out, it's um, and it's been like this for this is the third year in a row where it's kind of a, it's quite favourable for them that they have Wales and France up in the first two weeks. Then they have a break week. Then they have. Uh, Italy in Rome followed by another break week and then after that you're into the final two rounds so I think there's there's certainly the potential that Johnny could probably either be, be rested entirely or just play off the bench in that game against Italy and it means you, you have him nice and rested for a week either side of those games and he can have two games a little bit of a break two games uh, at the back end of the competition but it, it remains to be seen really it's actually quite unclear who's going to be wearing the 22 jersey this weekend is it going to be Ross Byrne or is it going to be Jack Crowley um, I think if if we were pointing guns to the head it, it feels like Ross Byrne might just be there if they need you know 25 minutes or half an hour out of him potentially that he can kind of steer Ireland through the, the second half of the game in Cardiff because he's, he's obviously so familiar with a lot of those players as well playing behind the, the bulk of that pack and playing inside the bulk of that back line as well with Leinster so I do think if he is fit we're going to see Johnny Sexton probably start four of the five matches over the over the next seven weeks So what does that mean for the World Cup then? Are we just not going to maybe prepare a replacement as well and focus on trying to win the Six Nations? Oh I, sir, I, I don't think there's going to be any suggestion that they're going to try use the Six Nations to, to experiment because I think it's it's like ultimately it's a very, very dangerous game. They didn't they didn't go out with that mindset in twenty nineteen and ultimately if you look back at that campaign, what ended up happening, they had a bad defeat against England in the opening match at the Aviva Stadium. And from there they were just chasing their tail for for the rest of the Six Nations and ultimately that carried the whole way through into the summer in the World Cup. So it's you know, you can lose your form very, very easily, and it's and it's not really a case of just flicking a switch and finding it all over again. So, I think when you have Sexton, and also at the age at the age he is at 37, it's just important, just as important, I think, that he plays regularly enough and having a couple of breaks along the way. Well, whereas I think if you if you don't play him for a couple of months or give him a little bit too much time off at, at the age he is, it's probably more difficult to come back in. And also as well, Ross Byrne he has limited experience with Ireland but as I said earlier he's got tons of experience playing with those players at Leinster week in week out and ultimately you're just putting a different jersey on him okay the intensity is is raised and the stakes are a little bit higher but he's played in so many big Champions Cup games and URC finals that he, he knows the big occasion well enough if he's going to be called upon and likewise Joey Carberry isn't out of the picture entirely for the World Cup I, I think it's totally reasonable that we could see him in the squad over in France in, uh, in September and October and if you look back at his caps he, has, he does have plenty of big game experience for Ireland he was handed a start in Paris last season and did quite well even though Ireland lost so I think I do think we might might overblow the, the, the lack of depth or the perceived lack of depth behind Johnny Sexton I think that the issue is probably just that Sexton is so good when he is on his game it's it's not really that the the guys below him aren't capable. Yeah, it sounds a bit like first world problem when we have him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I was slagging you earlier on when I was on with the two Johnnies that you probably didn't hear, but I was saying you're getting the good gig now over in Portugal in the sun, enjoying yourself, chilling out a little bit, watching a little bit of rugby training. Is that the way it's going, Neil? 
Yeah, you pretty much summed it up there. And I was feeling, I have to say, I was feeling particularly smug when I dialed into you just before the show started and I heard the weather just after the news. That was, that was a point now where I sat back in the chair and thought, oh, yeah, this, is, this isn't too bad. But I know we're not, we're not scorched out of it now. It's, it's, it's lovely warm weather, lovely warm weather. You can sit out in a T-shirt and enjoy yourself. But uh, I know it's getting dark now and it's, and it's getting a little bit dark and cold. So I might have to throw on a, a light jacket when I, uh, when I head out for dinner this evening. So we do love the, uh, we love observations on on squads and form in camp and all that sort of stuff. So like we are in 2023 now and the World Cup is very much in focus. So like what's the form like? Do you feel like looking at them that they feel like this is a, you know, once you're in the Six Nations squad, you're kind of settled and you've got a good chance of continuing all the way as far as the World Cup or is there still kind of an edge around the place? No, it definitely does feel like there's an edge around the place. And even the, with the, the recent call-ups, you know, Jamie Osborne uncapped coming in, it, it seems very unlikely that he'd be making his debut this weekend. But even still, you also have Tom Stewart, who's been brought into the squad this week. These guys were on the Emerging Ireland tour of, of South Africa back in September. So there definitely is the feeling that there is a door open if someone can play themselves into form and get into the team. And I think in certain areas of the pitch... I think potentially this Saturday as well we're going to see Stuart McCluskey rewarded for the form he showed in, in November and hold off Bundiaki to start in the centre and I think even for the rest of the squad that's a, a very, very good indication that if you're if you're playing well enough you can get in and you can stay in the side and likewise someone like Jack Crowley who came in in November you know, Jack Crowley as a, as a potential World Cup player with Ireland six, seven months ago I don't think that was a that was a picture many of us saw happening I think we were very much concentrating on Joey Carberry. I know Kieran Frawley is, has been injured and we were also thinking about Harry Byrne and Ross Byrne. So I think we've seen enough reshuffling over the course of the last few months in squads to, to see that Andy Farrell, he's not afraid to, to make a big call if he thinks it's going to be the right one. Yeah, and look, we we have analysed the, the squad to death now at this stage and it's, it's very much time to get on with things. But still, we've had a few texts in about Johnny Sexton and that question does remain. Um, one texter says there's no doubt that Johnny has been superb. However, being dependent on him at his age, it's more important to have the replacements now to blood them. Yeah, but like the, you see, there is a there is a trade-off. I mean, ultimately, if... Why, why do you have Johnny Sexton if you don't want to use him? And I think if you like, it's it's a discussion we're always having, and you're trying to trade weight out or weigh weigh up and trade off the the pros and the cons. But ultimately, if if Ireland start rotating a team around the place and struggle to get any cohesion over the next few weeks and lose a few games, it's going to be very hard to pick up that form. The later on you go into the championship and all of a sudden you're into World Cup warm-up matches and the tournament is upon you and you're still struggling to figure out what your best team is. Players are struggling to get into form. Combinations are struggling. So I think particularly now that we're in a, that the final year of the World Cup cycle, it's about, I think it's about fine-tuning the fine-tuning things. If we haven't figured out who the long-term successor is to Johnny Sexton, we're not going to find out between now and September. And ultimately giving giving you know Ross Byrne and Jack Crowley all of the starts over the next six or seven weeks it's probably just going to work out that Johnny Sexton loses his form and you could end up regretting that come September okay well I'm sure one thing that we know is that we will be keeping a chat on him or a check on him over and keep chatting about him over the the next few months Neil Tracy thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a very quick break now game on on 2FM 
welcome back. It's time to turn our attention to cricket. While well, over the last few days, the Minister for Sport, Catherine Martin, gave the go-ahead to Cricket Ireland to proceed with planning for the construction of a cricket oval with permanent seating at the Sport Ireland campus in Dublin 15. And Cricket Ireland Chief Executive Warren Dutram joins us now on the line. Warren, great news. Delighted. Um, <laughs> thanks very much indeed, Marie. Yes, we are really happy about it. It's a, um, I said about a couple of years ago, it was the largest single um, deliverable on my desk um, Mm -hmm. to, I think, to really help Irish cricket step forward. So for this to have been confirmed in the last um, couple of days is is a massive bonus for the entire sport. So set the scene for us, Warren. What's it going to look like? What are we going to see played there? Um, well, you'll be seeing our senior men and our senior women's international teams play against the top teams in the world. Um, we are part of the ICC's, what's called their Future Tours program, which effectively is the calendar and schedule of matches played by um, the men's team and our women's team is in what's, is what's called the ICC Women's Championship. So effectively, we're going to be having a a steady stream of the world's best teams coming men's and women's over the next few years. Um, that you know include the likes of India, India, England, Australia, South Africa, West Indies, Pakistan, etc. So it's um, in relation to the opportunity for us to really deliver a return on investment for um, the game and for the government, um, we will certainly have the content to ensure that um, that will be done sooner rather than later. And just from an identity point of view, Warren, for you to have a permanent home, to have a place that everybody's familiar with, to even have the just the permanent seating and the oval and just whatever you put in there, how important is that just for the future of the sport? It's critical. You know, you're, you're quite right to focus on that. In some ways, a lot of focus has been on about, um, well, isn't it great for the sport? And um, it's going to be fantastic that finally we have a permanent home. And yes, it's going to defray an unbelievable amount of expense that we have to put into temporary infrastructure, not to mention the environmental unsustainability of keeping having to erect and dismantle um, enormous amounts of infrastructure every year. But you're right, there's a, an intangible component to this, which it provides a real, um, I suppose, icon and visible icon for Irish cricket and stadium in the way that um, obviously the GAA has Croke Park, um, FAI and um, IRFU have Aviva. You know, this is going to be our real, I suppose, rallying point and visible um, demonstration of the fact that we are a coming and soon to be major sport in Ireland. Yeah, and I think sports fans in general, they love a destination. They love to know where they're going and, and what they're going to see. To, so just even have that as a, as a fixture will attract non-cricket fans, just sports fans as well, to go and see what you guys are offering. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we want this to be um, just like the National Aquatic Centre is mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the Velodrome and the other, I suppose, sporting cathedrals I've just mentioned here in Ireland. We want our venue to be a destination too. You know, we're unsure... If we're going to be smart about this and work closely with the government in the coming years, there are going to be ways that we can potentially host concerts there. It can be a um, sort of a food and beverage destination. Um, Lord's Cricket Ground in in London, um, the Old Trafford Cricket Ground in Manchester. Those organisations and those venues are 
similarly hosting um, other non-cricketing activity, which is making the, um, forgive the business terminology, but making the asset properly sweat. And that's what we want to do as well, notwithstanding the fact that it's um, going to be hosting some uh, very significant cricket matches, including the, those matches in the 2030 World Cup. So tell us about that. Like, how vital was it for you to to get this, uh, to get it over the line with the 2030 World Cup coming down the track? Yeah, look, we we um, specifically felt that one of the key rationales for us um, chasing the co-hosting rights to the event was that it would provide the government with an opportunity to see that um, that there was a reason to accelerate. Um, the timing of the construction of the stadium. I should say that um, as far back as 2018, um, when he was Taoiseach first time, Leo Varadkar um, stated in our match programme when we played India that um, the government was going to be supportive of Cricket Ireland's um, then relatively recent decision to construct a cricket stadium at the campus. So it was prior to the 2030 hosting rights, but I think what's happened is securing those co-hosting rights has probably accelerated and helped focus the government's attention on um, what is a looming deadline in cricketing terms. So uh, who pays for this now, Warren? Good question. Um, those discussions are now going to be entered into with the government. We first of all need to make sure that we're putting in place a proper vision for what the actual infrastructure will look like. And based on that vision and those architectural plans, we can then get quantity surveyors working their magic to put some um, euros and cents next to it. And then the government and ourselves will begin the discussion about um, who puts money up front, um, what might happen in relation to potential rental of facilities, depending on who pays, and maybe even potential future revenue shares once, of course, the activity gets going at the stadium, whether it be cricketing or non-cricketing. Every time I speak to Warren, I feel like it's a really busy time for cricket. It, it just feels like it's it's non-stop. I know the women are in South Africa at the moment, the World Cup uh, looming uh, for them. But even though there's a lot going on, and, and, and I know you're um, all over it all, it's exciting, though, to, to have so much cricket at the level the men and women are playing at. That's exactly the point. When I first joined uh, Maria back in two th- uh, Marie back in 2006, um, the fixture list was was very very thin. Um, the it's been a sort of a gradual process of of really sort of growing the opportunities for the sport to show to the rest of the world game that we are deserving of the opportunities. And of course, once we began to prove ourselves more and more, we were given, um, I suppose, the, the um, significant accolade of becoming a full member and uh, playing test cricket in 2017. Not that we played much of it, I have to say. Um, but the very fact that we've been given that opportunity to put us into the international schedule um, played by the men and women has now really given our international teams the opportunity to play pretty much from January all the way through to December. And the fact that so much of it now is being done on either linear television, um, covered on radio, online, live streamed, it really gives our players the opportunity to, um, I suppose, demonstrate their talents and their skills and their abilities, and that of our uh, of our non-playing teams, my staff who put on the fantastic events up and down the country in consultation with our venues, 
um, it really gives us the opportunity to demonstrate that um, we're not just a drain on the game's resources, but we are a proper enhancement to it and helping to properly grow the game around the world. It's crucial for you Warren, to have the players and um, while there's lots of cricket going on and you're going to have your own uh, cricket stadium, what's the grassroots like and have you noticed growth um, over the last number of years? Um, yes, I, I would say there's been steady growth over the last number of years in terms of regular playing of the games. In other words, those um, uh, cricket, pl- those playing on a regular weekend, day in, day out basis. What has really um, exploded in the last number of years has been um, what we would call involvement, which is um, the hard work done by development officers up and down the country and our provincial unions, getting into schools, working with local authorities, getting into communities community areas, working with um, getting um, the government's generous dormant accounts funding to assist us, um, getting into direct provision centres. Clearly, cricket is a sport which does have a really significant interest for um, the South Asian population in Ireland from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. And we've seen a number of cricket clubs around the country which have, um, which have sprouted up, which do have a predominance of um, South, Asian, um, South Asian immigrant influence, which is a fantastic way to grow our sport, number one, but also to integrate mm-hmm. those new communities into, into Ireland and the villages and the communities in which they're based. Um, we've launched in the last couple of years some mass participation programs for five to nine-year-old boys and girls and um, specific programs for girls as well from the ages of nine to 13, where obviously you would begin to see that drop-off in terms of participation. So, you know, we would like to think that our programs around women and girls, it's not traditionally just around participation, but also we introduced um, uh, playing contracts for our senior women last year. We're obviously working on making sure we're going to be compliant with the government's requirements around um, more gender-balanced boards, and we're even putting in place an excellent women's leadership program called On the Front Foot, run by our excellent participation department, which is making sure that the next cohort of leaders coming through our sport at every level, on and off the pitch, aren't just going to be men. Okay, that all sounds good, Warren. And just before we finish up, uh, when do you start work in Abbottstown? Um, I guess that's go- we're, there are a few stages to go um, on that first, but if we work backwards from the 2030 World Cup, we've got re- strong reason to believe that come by 2028, the ICC is going to um, be working with us to stage a, um, a qualification tournament here in Ireland, which means the year before in 2027, we're really going to be playing international men's and women's cricket for the first time. The year before that, we'll probably play domestic cricket. Bearing in mind it takes about three years for a pitch to settle, the maths tells us we probably need to be building the green stuff this year. Okay, Warren, uh, best look at it. We will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break, uh, but stay with us. We have ladies football and transfer deadline reflections to come. You know, it's a, like Donegal, as I know well, it's a fair enough distance to travel, Big, huge pitch in St. Eunan's, Marie. Um, and I mean, Donegal would train there a fair bit, but I mean, to get used to that pitch, it takes a while. And, and Meath performed really well. Look, they would have been focusing on improving their performance. As you said, like, Davy obviously was, you know, looking to get the win, but I think a performance for them was the big thing because as yeah. we spoke last week, you know, they were just uncharacteristically sluggish. And I just felt over the 60... 
they had much more intent going forward. Um, they moved the ball at pace. That transition that we talk about and we know them so well for they were they were much slicker in that regard. I felt the ref was very harsh on them, to be honest, the whole way through the game and they kept their heads and you know, it was a bit of a lucky goal for Mary Kate Lynch in the end, but they were fully deserving of the win. They really were. Yep. And what about Donegal, your own team? Yeah, listen, you know, we spoke about it last week. I suppose at Donegal at the minute, they're down a lot of big names, as we would say, and and up front, they're really struggling. They have the defence right, and we knew that Maxi would get that right because at the end of the day, he can't go toe-to-toe with the rest of the teams in Division 1 with a very young forward line. But the time is going to have to come now in the next few weeks where he is going to have to start focusing on getting scores on the board. Like, you're not going to win games with six mm-hmm. points or five points or whatever it is. So, look, defensively, yet again, very, very solid. Um, but up front, they're going to have to come up with something different in the next couple of weeks or they're going to be in trouble very soon. That's That's the way it's going to be, you know. We really are getting such different performances week on week. Um, when you look at Galway and Dublin, like again, a totally different Galway team and you wouldn't be expecting Dublin to only be scoring seven points. Oh, Marie, I mean, Galway and again, you know, I talk about them every year and I probably don't give them enough credit, but they just frustrate me so much because on paper, they are just so, so good. That's probably, I would feel their best performance in a couple of years. And look, I know it's game two of the league. They obviously have the Kilcarran girls coming off the back of a massive season, so they have a real bounce off that. They also have quite a young squad this year, so you'd have girls playing college football. So clearly their fitness levels and what they've been doing was far and beyond what Dublin, you know, are probably at in terms of a collective at the minute. But I mean, Dublin in that second half were absolutely wiped off the pitch. But you look at the subs that mm, Galway brought, brought on. on yeah. I mean, you're looking at bringing on, imagine coming out in the second half, your lineup, Olivia Dively, Louise yeah. Ward, Chloe Meskell, and then with 10 minutes to go when your legs are absolutely gone, <laughs> on comes Tracy Leonard and scores two brilliant points. But they, what I really liked about them, and that's what you want to see each week with the league, is that progression. So like, they would have probably looked at that Donegal game and they were very tentative in their attack and in their build-up and they nearly let Donegal keep possession. They went out from the first minute and they were in Dublin's faces I mean they were pressing really high from the full forward line they weren't willing to just sit back and let Dublin come on them they really pressed up and you know what they were physical like Galway were physical and they just put themselves around which we wouldn't really associate with them and I was I was really impressed with them Um, Dublin listen they were reduced to very little in, in the last 20 minutes um, you know you, Leah Caffrey I suppose was kind of taking the game to them herself nearly at times which again we talk about this word this year uncharacteristic um, Carla Rowe was given one-on-one attention throughout and I think physically she found it very hard mm-hmm. I mean if you tracked her off the ball they were niggling at her you know they were blocking well, her runs done the week before so. exactly and they completely nullified her um, Dublin will be disappointed they won't be panicked they got a lot of game time for a lot of girls um, but I I know it's early in the year but I, I feel a big statement from Galway um, fair, and fair play to them they just as a squad they're looking really really strong yeah you know. And Kerry have been quite impressive so far as well. And I think that um, under Darren Declan, they're evolving all the time. They're improving all the time. And it feels now that they're a team who know how to win. They know how to get results. They can grind it out. They have this resilience. And that came from the years of building blocks, putting it in place, not getting their overnight success, but just slowly building it up, getting better, finding players and just working really hard and scoring 3-5 against Mayo is it's pretty good it's pretty good and look as you say with Kerry it's been gradual and we spoke about them last year about the football they were playing mm. they were playing lovely football they were getting 
good results. Obviously, look, they got to an yeah. All Ireland final, but they've really built this year. Which I've what I've noticed in the last two, two games, really physical. Like they're really, really physical. I would imagine just by watching them, they've really worked on their tackle. Um, they're perfecting the tackle. They have good shape. Um, missing a few players at the minute. Uh, I mean, they're they're able to bring on Louise Nuara Hertig with ten minutes to go in both games, and they've they've dug out two results. And I mean, against Waterford, um, you know, Waterford kind of finished stronger, but Kerry were able to hold on for that one point win. The same here, you know, Mayo played very little football in that first half. Kerry were able to they hit the three goals. They didn't score any points in the second mm-hmm. half, but they I wouldn't even feel they held on for that one. They just really came together, stood firm, and there's huge belief there. There's definitely yeah. huge belief. And what you'd look what I would say about them, they've managed to keep that squad together and they've definitely added a few people like Hanno Donahue is back. Fantastic corner forward. Really, really good corner forward and she'll be massive for the my field down the line. But yeah, they'll be um Unfinished business, I'd say, from last year. I would say so. I would say so. And for many outside of their own camp, they kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and to perform, I suppose, they in such a disappointing manner in the final, they, they'll be looking at that and thinking, look, we didn't do ourselves justice. Time is on our side here in terms of the age profile of the squad. And I think they will be looking to get back to that, that final again this year. Mayo, though, it's... They, it's week after week now it seems that they take a while to get out of the blocks is that a is that just a hard thing for them to, to do is it almost something you're only starting to associate with them I, I don't know to be honest I mean only they know that themselves but what you would look at he has changed the team about he changed the team about for a second week in a row so maybe mm-hmm. that's having a bit of an effect but they literally haven't played any football in the first half of both games for two weeks and what's happened to them is they're switching on at half time they're tagging on the yeah. points and it's too late and they're they're chasing games and they're looking to catch games Um a few positives for them now I, I think Sinead Walsh I felt was really good when she came on at half time she gave them an extra edge she was able to pick up points um, when Shauna Howley I suppose last week she was excellent this week she was a lot quieter and they seemed to be relying on her on her a lot for scores where Sinead Walsh was able to come in fill that gap um, yeah look Mayo will be grand look Mayo will, will they'll get get the shape they'll get things together and I think he, he just needs to decide on his team and I think that's what he's trying to figure out mm. at the minute and, and I think he will get there um, I also feel with Mayo that perhaps okay they'll, they'll get the first 15 right but I think there's a few players who he could move around you know I look at Diane Caldwell there corner back brilliant athlete brilliant on the ball you know she'll carry that ball forward for you but in terms of her actual defending as a corner back you'd question that mm-hmm. at times so I'd wonder would she be of more benefit to Mayo on the half back line would she be of more benefit in the half forward line Fiona McHale at centre back I'm still not sure mm-hmm. so you know I think he could move a few things around and he'll, he'll get his 15 right but no more than Donegal they do have to wake up fairly soon um, or else they will find themselves in trouble I mean we're going to be halfway through the league now after this weekend so yeah, he okay. needs to get get it right sooner rather than later We were treated to a cracker between Waterford and Cork two very evenly matched teams but they delivered It was brilliant that was the game of the weekend mm-hmm. for me uh, really open no big defensive systems just pure football Um Waterford would be delighted because as we always say I feel bad for Waterford because they're always so close in these yeah. games and they get pipped I think a draw was a fair result um, it looked like Waterford were going to win it when Emma Murray and you could say against the run of play near the end they went up by a point what was key they had two chances 
after that to go up by two points and they missed them and then there was a bit of controversy at the end there were five minutes extra played which was fair because if you look back there were a few different injuries but it was the free I thought Eric O'Shea was lucky enough not to have been simbined about ten minutes before that and then she was she was awarded a free the ref brought forward ten yards into a scoreable position oh, right. for reasons I couldn't see yeah. it seemed like he was indicating that a Waterford player wouldn't get out of the way I didn't spot it now. Yeah. Listen, if anybody's seen it, they can text in. But <laughs> it was brought in. And listen, Katie Quirk, who had an unbelievable game, absolutely brilliant player. I'm so excited for her for championship. She nailed the free. And um, yeah, it was a fair result. But look, you know, Cork dominated that second half and then Waterford got numbers back and Waterford were really good on the break. Um, I, I just think, as I said, Marie, I supposed to finish after these four games. I just think this year is going to be so even, even mm-hmm. because we have so many teams meeting in the middle yeah. and it's, I just think the league's going to get better and better and it's really hard to even predict at the minute who those top two are going to be because we don't have any semi-finals either so yeah. while there isn't a huge amount to play for in terms of not having semi-finals um, there's a huge amount to play for to get to a final directly so we'll we'll see It does feel like alright that the teams are now starting to meet in the middle and the tiny little things that maybe have given a team an edge in the past are now maybe not there so much and it's just hugely competitive but one of the positives that I wanted to um, pick up on was the fixtures or the venues so three out of the four Division 1 games were in county are in county grounds uh, this weekend and Waterford are playing their home game in Dungarvan again as opposed to Piltown in, Kil- in Kilkenny so it's nice to see that they're actually getting um, they're getting venues that that that, that they should be getting that are um, that are suitable for the level that they're playing at. Yeah, absolutely. And I was given out last week because mm-hmm. you know me, I love to give out from time <laughs> to time. And I wrote about it at the weekend as well. You know, I just glanced through the fixtures last week and out of four divisions, across four divisions, there were only four games, as you said, in county grounds. But this week with Division 1, we have three out of the four. Um, and listen, as we've said before, you know, you look back to that Meath-Dublin game last year in Navan, if you have it on a suitable venue, you will get huge crowds. Yeah. The Dublin ladies, they bring huge crowds to Parnell Park. Uh, Donegal last week up in Letterkenny and St. Junin's, a county ground, huge, huge numbers. So listen, it's what's deserved and merited. And if we are going to make these steps towards integration, I think we have to put building blocks and foundations in place before the official transition happens. So it is good to see. But again, glancing through the fixtures for this weekend across the divisions, it's still only four four pitches out of yeah, well, the games. The, but still, it's, yeah. you know, it is good. And, and, you know, county boards, they're beginning to stand up. You'd just like to see a few more stand together with the ones who are who are giving up the pitch. Yeah, because I think that if other, if all the counties start to set standards, then it, it's almost like everybody would be shamed into doing what, it, what they, the rest the of right the thing. Ones, yeah, yeah, the right thing. That's yeah, it. Because often it. with women's sports, you find that people want to support it on the surface but actually committing to it and accommodating it is a whole other ball game. They want to say that they're doing it, but they won't actually follow through. So whether it's support a mother's and others team or give a, um, a ground for a game or give a... Training. Yeah, training, all that sort of stuff. I mean, they want it. They want the PR. They want the social media. They want to say we have women involved, but they don't actually want to commit anything to it. And that's what I find the most disappointing. And it might be a case where 
they have to see other people doing the right thing before they start to do it themselves but you would hope in time when integration does happen that there will be um, that there will be some equality when it comes to access to facilities because as it stands now at every level from the top right through to grassroots level there's so much anecdotal evidence that women and girls aren't, be support, aren't being supported by their clubs or their counties when it comes to facilities um, it's a big issue it's going to become a bigger one because there's more women and girls playing sport as well and um it's going to have to be a case where clubs are going to have to start compromising and in some cases prioritising the girls over the boys and the women over the men. But we'll wait. We will. <laughs> and you know what I would say to those clubs, like be a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. You know, do it. Don't wait for the club down the road to do it and then try and catch up, you know, yeah. down the line. Um, 89% of delegates, delegates in the GAA voted for integration. So where are they now? Yeah. You know, this is it. As as we said on the surface, it's very easy to say you want it. Mm -hmm. But you do have to change things and you do possibly you have to sacrifice things to make it actually happen. So let's hope. Because it's much more than surface level. Yes. And just finally, uh, before we finish up, um, we're only in the start of February, but there are... um, issues around the rules as there always seems to be so huge discrepancies in the interpretation of the charge and it looks like this could be a talking point for the season Yeah it was just something that I noticed across all four games Marie over the weekend Um, I I have a bit of an issue with the rule because I suppose my question is how can a player in possession who the majority of the time has just gathered the ball um, they turn around how can they possibly see or avoid the defending player who has strategically placed themselves right behind them? Mm-hmm. So how can that player who's turned with the ball know that somebody is behind them? So, you know, that's one issue I have. My second question is, you know, how is a defender are you attempting to dispossess the player in possession by standing in their path to goal? When the rule is to tackle, it, it has to be almost side on or you have to flick the ball away as the player is soloing. So for me, really, the charge... It's it's just been exploited, and I think over over the winter, what I saw at the weekend, even the last two weekends, I think over the winter there's been a little bit of coaching in it, mm. um, whereby you know managers are getting cute to it, they're coaching their defenders, even their forwards, yeah, where to stand, where to place themselves, and it's really frustrating, you know. And there's just when you see a player in full flight and somebody just steps across in their path, it's so frustrating because what are they supposed yeah. to do? What are they supposed to do, especially when they're going to pace? So it's just and it's just something I feel that referees perhaps maybe need a bit of, you know, coaching themselves on it because different refs are interpreting in a different way. So it's just frustrating. And <clears throat> I think for players, it's going to be more frustrating. And as I said, when managers start coaching. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And I think it's going to come up more and more. And we don't want a case in an All-Ireland final where something like the charge and misinterpretation is the difference in a team winning All-Ireland or getting to an All-Ireland. So we'll see where it goes, but no doubt I'll be giving it <laughs> in the next few weeks. Uh, Nadine, thank you so much <laughs> Thanks, for Marie. coming in. Uh, we're going to take a break and then uh, Keith Tracy is going to join us to look back on transfer deadline day. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It's time to talk football. Keith Tracy is with me in studio. Keith, where else to start but Atletico Madrid? It's the one transfer that I never thought I mean I'd be sitting around thinking about transfers but Matt Doherty to Atletico Madrid was just not something that I would have ever even entertained until I actually saw the picture of him in the jersey or in the jumper sitting on the stool it's amazing 
It really is amazing when you think uh, Diego Simeone is obviously managing Atletico Madrid. We all know he's he he likes to set up defensively very very rigid. He doesn't give it doesn't give a yard on the pitch. It'll be a hundred mile an hour. And we all know Matt's a great he's a great fullback going forward. He can create goals. He can make things happen. There's always been question marks over him defensively. Mm-hmm. So for Diego Simeone to to bring him in, there was obviously a conversation between him and Conte. So Conte, although he's letting him go out of the club, he must fancy him to to let Simeone go and take him because you know it is a manager's reputation at the end of the day. So look, we've seen we've seen Diego Simeone make Kieran Trippier a better defender. Yeah. Hopefully, he can do it again with Matt. Look, Matt has he has the hard side of the game down. He can mm-hmm. create goals. He can make things happen. It's just being in a better defensive position at times, and I'm sure Simeone will uh, will force that into him. It seems he has the application though as well. You know, he has spoken in the past about how he works on things like fitness and diet and um, the off-field side of the stuff, the game as well. So you would think that given his ability to work hard that if he's been shown something by Simeone that he will be able to take it on board or does is it too late like can you learn to defend at that age yeah of course you can I, I don't think it's it's necessarily sometimes I've seen Matt in one and one uh, positions and he, he's been just skipped past very very easily sometimes as a defender your job is not to necessarily go and win the ball it's to slow the player down to give the rest of your team a chance to come back and recover so I would just be telling him be a body don't get caught up the pitch because look Matt he's not silly he's a professional footballer he knows what he's doing he understands the game inside now but if you're running back towards your own goal it's a lot harder to defend rather than having your back to the goal and standing people up so he just needs to be a little bit more for me a little bit more clever when he does go forward and just be a little bit more look at Diego will put the reins on him he won't be going to have the free rein of the pitch he won't be up and down like he used to he will go he will get the chance to do that but he will have to defend properly as well and Look, I, I wouldn't have seen this on paper like you, Marie, but I think it's a very, very interesting move. And look, from an Irish point of view, I think it's a great move because we all want Matt to defend that Absolutely. little bit better. Yeah, and we want to see him playing as much as possible. Exactly. And, and I do think he will get a run over there as well. Yeah, because that'll give him confidence then when he yeah, does exactly. come back Yeah, exactly. And to... when, we, uh, when he could be up against Mbappe <laughs> now next month as well. So he'll, uh, he'll need to be sharp. Absolutely. And it'll be a great look for people like me who are football fans and love to go away and watch games like there we go another destination I can't wait I'm going to be checking it out (laughs) Um, Chelsea fans are they going to be in disbelief that their owner Todd Bowley is spending such crazy amounts of money so Enzo Fernandez, a British record of £107 million and when you think that it was only a year or two ago that he was going for a lot less than that mm. that he's now worth that much yeah it's amazing what winning the World Cup will do for, mm. for somebody's value yeah. isn't it but look he, he's a super player he is a, a very very good player I think 105 million is very very inflated but look if you're going to go into the, the transfer window in January you're going to play above the odds when the player you're after has just won the World Cup you're going to pay above the odds so Chelsea have had a double whammy on it and everybody knows Chelsea have money at the minute they're throwing around big contracts long duration of contracts so they're spreading the the cost of the transfer fee over over you know six seven years. So, look, I I do think it definitely definitely improves Chelsea. Chelsea are at a, a mid table club at the minute. They're not doing well. They need an awful lot more bodies in than Enzo Fernandez. But at the minute, you know Chelsea they they spend the money you know hand over fist. They've got an awful lot of players, an awful lot of quality into the building. But the one thing for me is you know I don't think Graham Potter knows his best team. He he has an awful lot of talent in the building but he needs to get an 11 on the pitch that he can walk from get a base and think right I just need one or two more from here because at the minute it's a little bit all over the place at Chelsea you don't know who's going to turn up how they're going to perform 
they just need to be a little bit more solid because look we all Graham Potter at Brighton was, it was brilliant to watch but he's dealing with a, a different ego now and he just needs to impose himself a little bit more as Chelsea manager and not be as reactive as he was at, at, at Brighton he must be under savage pressure now though like when all of these big players and the money that's been spent all it's, gonna, it's all going to fall on his shoulders yeah of course look he, he, I wouldn't put you, you can't say it's Graham Potter paying 105 million it's just the transfer market it's the way it is so he has to pay over the odds he would have said I want that player and then it would have been up to Todd Bowley and the rest of uh, the Chelsea big wigs to decide how much they want to actually part with they've decided to go for 105 million but it, look, it just throws more and more pressure on. So if Fernandez comes in and doesn't hit the ground running in the Premier League team, which we've seen happen time and time again, if he doesn't hit the ground running, it's just going to heap an awful lot more pressure on uh, on Graham Potter's shoulders. And I have to be honest, I know they're investing. Uh, Todd Bowley's giving Graham Potter pretty much all he wants in terms of money. I don't see it ending well because mm. th- I don't think they're going to win the Champions League. I, they're obviously not going to win the Premier League this season. They might not even get Champions League football next season. So a trophyless season and no no Europe next season, I, I just don't think that's going to be good enough regardless of how much the, the team may come on or how much money is pumped into it. I just don't think it's going to be good enough. Yeah, it feels like it won't cut it all right. And uh, just before we finish up, did Arsenal do enough in the window? I'm, I'm delighted with the Jorginho signing. Mm. Um, I, I would put this down to, I know Sabitzer has gone in in place of Ericsson at United. Ericsson's got a bad injury, but the one, one thing I would say to United fans is Sabitzer's a very good player, but there is a little bit of drop from Ericsson. In my opinion, Ericsson is a better player, but El Nini got injured for Arsenal and Arsenal brought in Jorginho, mm. which for me is a little bit of an upgrade. So Arsenal have upgraded in that and Chelsea, have, or sorry, Manchester United have slightly, slightly downgraded in the Sabbath. So he's a, he's a super player, but for me, Ericsson has that little bit more quality, that little bit more, little bit more vision than Sabitzer. But look, you know, I, I think Arsenal have done done good business they needed more legs in there so look Jorginho won't play that's how strong Arsenal's midfield has been so he, he will be a fringe player and if he can get in if we need him he can go and see games over the line great uh, he, he's long in the tooth he's won cups for Chelsea so yeah I'm delighted to have him in the building but he, he won't be breaking into that midfield for you hope and you're hoping that nobody gets injured and, and it goes yeah. like that but they're you know they, he brought in Trossard as well Trossard, yeah, and look, I, I'm I was a big, big fan of Trossard when he was at Brighton. I, I've seen him play twice for Arsenal already, and he seems to have the ability just to, to to glide past people. He's not somebody who you would look at and think he's lightning quick, but he just glides past people, and makes it look effortless. And yeah, look at Zinchenko, Jesus, uh, Jesus has gone out. Zinchenko looks to be a real, real leader, and this Man City philosophy just seems to be filtering in the winning way and look the way we're playing is excellent and <laughs> I, keep, I keep having it on the tip of my tongue you know it just seems to be leaning more and more towards Arsenal yeah okay well we'll see at the end of the season if you're still as happy <laughs> Keith Tracy thank you so much for coming in that is all we have time for we'll be back tomorrow previewing the Six Nations and the Dublin Racing Festival as well so do tune in for now though it's Better De Silva Live across the nation and on the RTE radio player this is RTE 2 2FM